Hi, it's Ozzy here. Now, if you haven't already heard it, a week or so ago, I recorded a lengthy interview with Tony Rush. And um, it's been incredibly popular. Some of the feedback I've received has asked me to chop it up into pieces because it was almost an hour and 20 minutes long. So I've done that very thing. Now, I've already posted the first part, part one, and this is part two. So the other side of this music you'll hear is picking up the conversation where we left off. physical, tangible, towards that future that you wanted. Yes. And, and what's interesting is I didn't realize actually that's what I was doing because about six months later, our life was completely different. I was living in a, another house 600 miles away, mm-hmm. a much nicer house, nice neighborhood, still not wealthy, of course, but we were making really good money. I, th- I think at that time um, – I had gone from making about $1,000 a month mm-hmm. to, I think at that point, we were probably making somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 3000 a week. Gosh. So we were really digging ourselves out of that hole that we had put ourselves in. And um, at the time, I had sort of bought into some of the more esoteric explanations uh-huh. for what I had done. I, I, I thought that, you know, I had done some magical trick. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought, yeah, we might, might be books. worth touching on, though, <laughs> that, that's the, that sort of thinking. Okay. Because well, I, I know there's, I mean, the majority, sorry, I'm cutting across you, Tony, but I think the majority of the listeners to these podcasts are probably in a position now where we found ourselves a little while ago that they're probably not quite at the tipping point, but they'll start looking around. I know I did. Yeah, yeah. I started looking around for explanations, looking around for what I could do, and there's... There's a lot out there, and there's a lot of conflicting messages out there, right. and some of it, I, some of it, I personally think is quite dangerous. Uh, I don't know about you, but some of it uh, can build a false hope. I'm, I'm, no way do I ever want to take anybody's hope away from them. Never right. want to do that. But some of it, at times, I feel is, um, is shall we say, a little bit too woo-woo. Is that fair? I like that. Woo-woo. Yeah. Is that a phrase across the pond uh, as well? It certainly is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and and I'm of the same mindset. I, I never want to take the wind out of somebody's sails. And I'll say that there were things that led to my – there were things that I thought was happening that led from me going from struggle and poverty to um, – I prosperity, let's use that term, or abundance or wealth or whatever we want to call it, a dramatic change in how I live today versus then. Um, There were things at the time that I thought were creating that that were soundly in the category of what you would call Mm. woo-woo. And I I don't know that those things were completely without value. Uh, For instance, I remember at one time a guy told me, he said, you know, go, go buy a magazine and cut out pictures of things that you, you want. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, there, you know, there was some value in that because you don't know what you don't know. So getting a magazine and finding out what kind of car that I liked, that was kind of helpful actually. Or, you know, or discovering, um, you know, like, Hey, here's a certain style house. And I, I've always seen that house and I didn't know what it was called. And now I know that's a, a Tudor style home and mm-hmm. okay. So maybe I'll cut that out there. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think where it goes sideways is when somebody takes a little project like that and they say, well, Hey, just, just by cutting these pictures out and putting them on a board and looking at them every day is going to make it happen. Yeah. And that's where it actually wasn't until several years later when I started unraveling, how did I get here? Like what, what are the bits that actually worked and what are the parts that were kind of noise Mm. And, and I don't, I wouldn't claim to have all this figured out, but I do, I have identified in my own life, several blind alleys that I did wind up going down. Um, and I will agree with you. I think some of them, they actually, um, they can keep you stuck. Yeah. Uh, they, they, and the question I get sometimes is somebody says, well, what's the harm? What, what, if, if I choose to believe in the power of positive thinking and, or if I, if I choose to believe that, you know, just, just thinking about my goals is going to make something happen, what's the harm in that? And my usual answer is, I don't think there's any harm in it as far as that goes, but that's never as far as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it usually invariably turns into somebody arranging their lives around, that idea that they're going to, the universe is going to rearrange itself in response <laughs> to what's on your goal list. And, and it, when you start making decisions in your life about bank accounts and cars and mortgages and relationships, and I mean, I've seen, I've seen people really, really drive their lives into a ditch mm. because they thought that the thing that they were doing was going to be, make them successful. And the truth is, they weren't even looking in the right direction. So it's a little frustrating to, to, no, I, I, I to, to have to sort all that out. But you're right. There's a lot of noise out there. Listen, I've, I've been enough, down enough blind alleys myself. And um, I've also, uh, I think now looking back, wrongly attributed certain successes to, to, to that side of things. I mean, um, a couple of examples, if you don't mind me giving you. Um, one was when I gave, as a young chap, I, I gave up smoking. I used to smoke and I stopped and uh, the the way I did that was quite simple it was I was young and single uh, but I was in a job where in those days you used to be able to smoke in the office and that sort of stuff and and so uh, I'd probably get through at least a pack a day sometimes more now I wouldn't necessarily smoke them all because you'd light one up and you'd put it down in the ashtray because you'd pick a call up, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> but you, right. you, you'd, you'd, get, you'd, get through, you'd get through at least a pack a day. I used to smoke. I would burn two packs a day and yeah. smoke one. Yeah, yeah that, that's, <laughs> that's right. But one day, uh, I w- one evening, I was out, out with the boys, as we'd say over here. We, we'd gone out for a few drinks and... Um, and I used to, I used to live in a small village in, in a county called Derbyshire, which is right in the middle of, uh, of of England. It's right in the middle of the UK, so it's in the Midlands. Uh, I lived in a village, and I used to get a bus into town, which was about three, four miles away, and I catch the last bus home after a few beers. And there was a, one of one of the 
group. There was about seven, eight, nine of us used to go out on a regular basis. Um, and one of the guys had had a, a cold. He'd had sort of a fluey thing a couple of weeks before. And during that time, he stopped smoking and hadn't smoked since. Anyway, we would, shall we say strong drink had been taken? Leave it at that. But I, I went over to them because I don't even know if they still have these vending machines over here now because smoking just banned everywhere, you know. Um, I went over to the vending machine to get a pack to see me on the bus home. And as I got back to, to my seat, Dave, who sadly is no longer with us, but Dave said to me, ah, you're a slave to it or something, uh, you know, some, something of those words. You know, it was a derogatory remark about me being a slave to, to, to nicotine or something like that. And I sort of half-jokingly grabbed him by the lapels and pulled him towards me and looked him in the face. And with the other hand, I screwed up this pack of cigarettes that I just bought and said, you will never see me smoke another cigarette again. And I threw him down. And, of course, there's about eight or nine people watching me do this, make an absolute idiot of myself in the pub. You know, I was really quite loud about this. And Incidentally, I don't drink now either. I haven't had a drink for 15 years. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did. It was the best thing I ever did because I made this big stand about it. I put it out there that I was never going to smoke again. And so my own pride stopped me doing that. Uh, doing that again my own pride stopped me but also a trick that i learned and if anybody on here listening to this is a smoker and wants to 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 give up wants to to quit smoking this is the trick that i learned that i tried i'd actually tried quitting smoking several times before but it was that sort of weasel word tried because when you try something if it doesn't work out you can say oh well i tried it didn't work and i went back but this time i had said I'm never going to smoke again but also whenever anybody offered me a cigarette in the future whenever anybody offered me a cigarette in the future instead of saying no thanks I've quit or no thanks I'm trying to give up or words to that effect I used to just say no thanks I don't smoke mm-hmm. now Tony is the next smoker when you were smoking if you'd have offered somebody a cigarette and they said no thanks I don't smoke would you have said go on try one it won't hurt um not, they, not really if, my personality, but I can definitely see how the it, it, it would. I can see how that kind of language would still leave a door open. Yeah, yeah. You see, if I found that by saying no thanks, I don't smoke. Not no thanks, I'm quitting or I've quit. Right. I, I found that shut that actually shut the door. Maybe it's a it's a cultural thing, you know, British or whatever. But it shut the door. Right. Nobody would say to me in the past when I'd said no thanks, I've quit. I'd I'd get the oh one won't hurt. Oh, I see. see I, I mean? see what you mean. But when I said no, yeah. no thanks, I've quit. I'd get, I I that person would never offer me again. Even people right. who knew me as a smoker, no thanks, I don't smoke. They would never offer me a cigarette again. And that was mm-hmm. that was doing two things. It was cut. It was cutting off that line of supply, if you like. But it was right. it was also reinforcing to myself that I that I don't smoke you know that I don't smoke I'm a non-smoker. Some people have told me that that uh, and I don't know whether it's true that my subconscious was also hearing the fact that I was a non-smoker. I don't know whether that's true, but I know that the practical step of saying no thanks I don't smoke, cutting off that supply, probably had a greater effect for me because I removed the temptation and therefore right. it helped me not smoke. 
But another thing later was uh, when I was learning to drive, somebody told me about affirmations. And over here, I don't. I, I know it's a different thing over there. People drive earlier over there than they do over here. I mean, we can't drive till we're seventeen over here. Uh, I think it's earlier over there. Am I right? Younger, yeah. yeah, yeah. You can get a you can get a full blown license at sixteen, right, right? But you can get a learner's permit at fifteen or and a half, yeah, depending yeah, on the state. I believe. Right. Well, yeah. anyway, I I sort of uh, learned to drive a, a little bit later, uh, but. Somebody told me about affirmations, and over here, I think the average is something like 20, 30 lessons before you, you know, pass your test, have a driving test, and you pass. And I got through it in seven. But I'm sure the affirmations, all, all they did was put me in the, they didn't bring about anything magical other than putting me in the right frame of mind to learn, to do the practical stuff. It wasn't a magical thing that was going on there. It just put me in a right. better frame of mind to learn how to to drive does that make sense sure you know I, yeah if people would put it down to this this magical standing in front of a mirror and you know these incantations that i was going through um uh, and i i think it's a more practical thing than that i don't think there's the mysticism behind it that a lot of people put behind it but if it listen that's my interpretation if if you're into your affirmations in a big way if you believe there is a mystic power that's doing that and it's working for you that's the key thing if it's making you do the thing that's okay, but don't just rely on it and not mm, do and not yeah. take the practical steps. Well, there's there's a um, do you, do you know that if I say the name Andy Nyman, do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, that name you know does, yeah, Nyman. yeah, that name is Isabel, definitely. Uh, Andy Nyman is a uh, UK. Uh, he's a mentalist in the UK. That's right, yeah. He's the writer creator with Darren Brown mm. for. I think most of Darren Brown's live shows, I believe Andy has has. I've seen him uh, on the credit. That's where, that's, yeah, yeah, and he and he's also a, an actor in his own right. I think he's um, he's he's got a, a new film coming out soon. Um, it's got some well known names in it, but a Andy has. Uh, I've I've got a, a I've been fascinated with magic and mentalism since I was a kid, mm. and. Um, the United Kingdom just has the the best mentalists. I mean, it's it's really amazing. Some of the some of the the most clever around the corner thinkers in the the world of magic. You know, they do the the Blackpool convention every mm -hmm. year. It's a big deal at Blackpool. And anyway, there's just so much wonderful magic and mentalism happening in the UK. And so I have kept up with both uh, Darren Brown and Andy Nyman for several years, and. Interestingly, magicians have a fantastic perspective on uh, the conversation about cause and effect mm. for obvious reasons, because their job is to obscure the relationship between cause and effect. Um, they would rather you not know how something, how an effect was created. So, you know, they want to say, hey, look, here is the handkerchief. And I do this with it, and look, now it's gone. Uh -huh. It's over there in a pocket. And in order to do that convincingly, they have to actually look at the timeline of cause and effect, and then they have to either remove or insert steps that you're not aware of so that at the end you see the effect, but you the, the cause is in complete mystery. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, so that's the nature of what magic is about. Well, the side effect of that is because these guys are always so great 
at obscuring cause and effect because they have such a wonderful perspective about how effects and causes are related. Well, they also happen to be, um, if they have good communication skills, they're really good at talking about the kind of stuff you and I are talking about right now, Mm -hmm. which is what's, what is the thing that's actually causing me to have the results? Why why did I make a million dollars that year? What was different that year than the year before? Or why is it that all of a sudden here's a, here I was in this, well, I'll give you an example. I was, I was uh, working uh, in a direct sales company and I was earning commission and I couldn't figure out which end was up to save my life. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, and I mean, when I say all of a sudden, I mean, within a matter of a week, I don't mean like gradually over a period of months in the matter of a week, suddenly I made a little over $4,000 and then consistently made several thousand dollars every single week after that until, um, seven months later we had our first, and I'm speaking U S dollars, uh, $60,000 month. So, Mm -hmm. so like you stand back and you Mm -hmm. think, okay, where, where's the call? What, what changed? Same company, same product, same compensation, same marketing, you know, materials, same everything. What changed? And so uh, the reason I brought up Andy Nyman is because we all have, uh, a worldview or we could call it a belief system. We could call it, uh, a worldview, a perspective on, how money works, how happiness works, how health works, whatever. Like the results that I'm getting in my life are, uh, somewhat a reflection of the worldview that I'm holding. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that Andy has, and I'm calling him Andy, I'm not, I don't know him. I've never met him. I've, I've had a, a very brief email exchange with him and he seems like a very, very nice man. Um, but I, I don't know him, so I shouldn't probably call him mm-hmm. Andy. But one of the things that Andy Nyman is really, really good at is in having these conversations and this is a long way around, but he, he starts off by saying, Hey, let's do this. Let's take what you think about this topic. Let's put that in this box mm-hmm. and let's close it. Look here, here it is. It's not going anywhere. It's safe in this box and let's put it right here on the table. Everybody can still see it. And let's just have a, a new conversation. Let's, have some new dialogue. Let's look at new ideas or let's look at old ideas in a different way and try them on. Mm. And, and, uh, at the end of the conversation, if you feel like there was no value there, Hey, you know what? No big deal. Open the box and take everything out that was already yours. It's all good. Mm. And I always thought that Andy's way of having, of framing that conversation was helpful because it never invalidates what the other person might presently think, even if what they think is part of what's causing their struggle. So, you know, the challenge that you and I have in having these types of conversations is I don't want to ever be perceived as, um, you know, like I'm a guru or I've just come down off the mountaintop and I've got a fresh set of tablets you know, and I'm, I'm looking to replace somebody else's, uh, belief system with mine. I, that's not what mm-hmm. you or I, about. I know you well enough to know mm-hmm. we've had this conversation. Um, but very, very much interested though in, Hey, what if there was a new way of looking at things 
what if you could let go of some ideas that aren't serving you and replace them with ideas that suddenly are producing better results. And to me, um, that is a very validating and honorable way to help people from where they are without coming across like, uh, you know, like you, you, some kind of a supernatural metaphysical, I've got it all figured out. I I don't have it all figured out. It's, it's sort of, it's a sort of safe house way of doing things as well, isn't it? You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, Let's we can we we can get in uncomfortable for a little while, but you know we can still bolt back into this safety of your previous beliefs if you need to. You know, and I think I think maybe too maybe I've maybe I I started onto that a little too early because maybe we should back up mm. and acknowledge that. Um, well, this was true for me. I didn't know that you could change beliefs. Mm. Okay, well, that brings part two to a close. Uh, we'll pick up the conversation again in part three. Now, what you need to do now is head over to iTunes and subscribe, and that way you'll be sure you'll never miss another episode, and you certainly won't miss part three of my interview with my guest, Tony Rush. And uh, we'll see you over there. Cheers, then. Bye-bye.